In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. This Sunday we are going to celebrate what is called in the Church Letare Sunday, which means rejoice. We are rejoicing because, yes, because Lent is almost over and the Church bids us kind of encouragement to continue in our practice of penance so that we can finish this time of of trial, this time of purification, time of conversion in with perseverance and with much fruit. And also the church reminds us that Lent is really a means to an end, that it is really the, the end is joy. We're not masochistic, we don't want to just mortify ourselves or give up things for Lent simply because, you know, that's it, because the church said so or something like that. No, it is because there's a logic. We need to suffer in order to convert and especially, I think, unite ourselves to the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He suffered for us and he has incorporated us into his body. The least we can do is also try to imitate him in his example of self-giving out of love. And suffering is one way to show how much we love, you know, how much we're willing to suffer for somebody else. Well, I want to talk today about returning to the home, to the house of the Father, because that brings joy. If you recall, in Luke chapter 15, there are a couple of parables, or a few parables, that our Lord tells And at the end of each parable, he ends with a comment about joy. So, for instance, he tells the parable of the lost sheep. What man of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the desert and go after that which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it upon his shoulders rejoicing. And on coming home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my sheep that was lost. I say to you that even so, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, more than over ninety-nine just who have no need of repentance. And we see the same thing with the next small parable of the lost coin where you know the woman who had 10 drachmas 10 coins and she loses one of them and then she lights a lamp and she sweeps the house and she looks very carefully for it until she finds it and then when she finds it she actually invites her neighbors and kind of throws a party saying rejoice with me for i have found the drachma that i lost And our Lord comments, even so, I say to you, there will be joy among the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
And of course, the greatest uh, of all parables of this genre is that of the prodigal son, when we know how the prodigal son leaves the house of the father and squanders his inheritance on loose living and prostitutes and then is hungry. You know, he suffers hunger and... and um, St. Luke says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many hired men in my father's house have bread in abundance while I am perishing here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he arose and went to his father. This is the homecoming of the prodigal son. And we know that the father, when, when he saw him, he spotted him far, far away. And which means he was looking for him. Obviously, you don't spot somebody far away unless you're looking for him already. And he was so moved with compassion that he ran and fell upon his neck and kissed him and and doesn't even let him finish what he's going to say. He kind of cuts the prodigal son off because he he doesn't care what he says, actually. He's so happy that he will hear nothing of his son being a hired servant or anything like that. He just says, fetch quickly the best robe and put it on him and give him a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and bring out the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and make merry because this son, this my son was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and is found and they began to make merry. This is the joy that comes from God when we convert. And conversion is really a a returning to the house of the Father. And I think that, you know, Letaris Sunday, more than what I said before, because we're almost finishing Lent, and, you know, it's kind of the church telling us, you can do it, it's kind of like the last lap before this time of penance ends. I think it is more appropriate to think that Letaris Sunday is hopefully a an occasion of joy because we are returning to the house of the Father. Because hopefully by now we are intuiting the love of God, you know, after practicing penance, you know, for for the love of God that, that we say, you know, I can think the same way as the prodigal son. We have a very similar Sunday in uh, the season of Advent, it is also, like Lent, you know, the, the season of Advent is a liturgical season where the the liturgical vestments are violet, but on Gaudete Sunday, it's the, same, the word means the same, rejoice, we are allowed to wear pink vestments or rose vestments, and same thing in Letare Sunday, we can wear rose vestments to, to signify this joy, but I think in Advent... The, the rejoicing is, is a little bit different, has a different flavor to it, if you will, if you allow me that expression, because it's really about the Lord coming close, you know, coming to us in the incarnation at Christmas. Whereas here, maybe the flavor, so to speak, of this Sunday is about returning home, returning to the house of the Father, like the prodigal son who decides to convert. This word conversion the root word in Latin, conversio, is vers, versio, I guess, the, 
the word that means turning or or toward you know turning toward and you know when you think about your body you know we think about our body we turn it you know when we turn to someone we turn towards someone we focus our attention toward that person and we we show our face towards that person and we turn towards them and we could turn away and that means basically we turn our face away from them we don't want to look at them and 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 basically the the season of lent is is precisely about this conversion about turning back the returning to the house of the father it's a turning with our face our face is what describes our emotion our you know this joy that we have how do you know if somebody is joyful do you look at their hand do you look at their finger do you look at their elbow no you don't look at, the, at any part the most characteristic part of the body that you look at if they are joyful is their face you know their face their eyes you know their mouth the smile that goes from ear to ear it's some something about the face that reveals the the very interior life that we that we carry within you know and and when someone is joyful we could see somehow that they're at peace with themselves that they are at peace with god that there's there's a luminosity there's something radiating that comes out of their eyes and 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 face it's really a, a beautiful thing to see someone who is who is very very happy and and it's not a feeling this is a a state of the soul you know, we when when somebody enters into the room and they say, "Oh, I'm really happy," the question that somebody in the room may ask them is not, "Oh, how does it feel?" No, nobody says that. What they say is, "Why? Why? Why are you happy?" In other words, joy has a reason that requires um, that gives us joy. You know, it's it's a a logos. There's a logic behind it. There's a reason why it's not just, it's not a feeling, although feelings may accompany it. But it really is the fruit of something deeper. And and in 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 this case, in the case of the spiritual life, we have joy because we have been loved profoundly by God. He has looked for us, and we have after sinning after having sinned like the prodigal son we have said yes to that grace to come back that's what conversion is all about and our face shows it all well saint augustine actually speaking of the prodigal son he himself was like a prodigal son and he if you read the book that he wrote on his conversion which is called the confessions you will see that he places himself so many times in so many passages of this great work in the shoes of the prodigal son and he he basically identifies with the prodigal son you know he he sees how he has sinned how he's gone away far away from the house of the father and then at some point he turns into himself turns he comes to himself and then begins his journey back and, and, and he describes his conversion in several steps, as we know. But he, St. Augustine being a man of, of, um, of rhetoric, he loves Latin, and he loves playing with words, he actually plays with the word conversion. 
and and with the root word, you know, this this root word which is versio, which means toward or turning toward. And and he says, you know, sin is really being an being adversus day, you know, kind of against God, turning away from God. It's like an adversary of God. And converting ourselves towards creatures, towards created things in a disordered way, outside of God and outside of the plan of God. And so we not only use created things, but we abuse them and we misuse them and we kind of um, transform them into something that is evil. And that's why he also plays on the word perversus, you know, pervert. We pervert them, which is converting them into something that is evil. So when we turn away from God and we convert towards creatures and we do so outside of the plan of God, we pervert the world. We make it evil. So even though it came good out of the hand of God at creation, we kind of taint it with our sin. But then, with grace, of course, just as it says with the prodigal son in Latin, in the Latin version, which he read, it says, in versus, which means, but when he came to himself, right? It's this moment when the prodigal son begins to pray, begins to reflect, begins to examine his conscience. It is there that he turns to himself, reversus, he kind of, you know, he kind of um, turned towards his his own reflection of of what life is about. And he begins to think clearly and logically. And it is there that with more grace, he turns back to the house of the Father. That's his conversion back to God. And so this whole motion of going kind of against God, perverting the world, coming back into a, to his senses, and then converting back to God, is the trajectory, the journey, that we are all called to really participate in, in this Lent, and in every Lent, and maybe we could say every single day of our lives, is a moment of conversion. St. Maria talked about the moment, the big moments of conversion. We can He pointed to for instance, a St. Paul who was knocked down to the ground and, um, and you know, he converted in basically in, in, in very little time, in three days or so, or really in a moment, because he saw our Lord resurrected and, and in this extraordinary apparition on the way to Damascus. And we could think of St. Augustine when he finally converted, you know, and yes, he had a great conversion, he got baptized and everything else, or and many other saints, and maybe even even um, you or, or someone you know and someone you love who converted at a big kind of moment in their lives, and it was very clear that their lives changed. But St. Josemaria talked about not only those moments of the great conversions, but also the later conversions, later conversions that he said are sometimes even more important than the first conversion. Those later conversions are the ones that are more silent, more hidden, more interior, but they are definitely 
because of because of that, precisely because they're they're deeper, that they are more lasting, more important for the story of our soul, the story of the soul of each one of us, and the story of our relationship with God. And so, you know, today we we want to ask our Lord in our prayer, Lord, help me to begin to come back to you. See, all of us are called to wherever we are, even if we're far away from God. You know, let's let's not think that conversion is for those for for holy people who want to become saints or something. No, it's, it's precisely for those who are not who are very far away. But it doesn't matter where we are. You know, because we can also think, well, I, I go to mass every day, or well, right now with the coronavirus, we're trying to even um, watch it on television or watch it on our phones or wherever. Being united, and parentheses, I make a parenthesis here, the Pope has given us uh, the opportunity for an indulgence when we follow the Mass and when we do other prayers as well, even if remotely or via uh, technology, you know, so that we can get even more graces in spite of the fact that we cannot be present. But uh, I close the parentheses there. Regardless, there is a lot of grace that we have now and what we need to do is ask our lord for a conversion a deep conversion of a change of heart you know in in this time of of lent well the the gospel of today's mass is something that helps us to do that and that is that the there is a blind man in in, in Saint John's Gospel, and as we know, um, he had been blind from birth, and he is he comes across um, he encounters our Lord, and our Lord puts clay on his eyes, then this clay is something that he made with his saliva and some dirt. And he sends him off to get, to wash himself and then he comes back and he comes back seen. And the um, there's a big controversy. It's actually a very long gospel. At some point there's a controversy as to whether or not this is the man. Because people did, you know, people said, no, this is not the man. Maybe, maybe it's somebody else. And and, you know, it's not so clear to the Pharisees and other people whether this is the man. And so, um, my point here is what St. Thomas says when he comments on this passage. The opinions of the people are presented when one says, some said it is he, the beggar, because they had often seen him begging and later hurrying through the town when he went to the pool with the clay on his eyes. Thus they could not deny that it was he. But others were on the, of the contrary opinion. So so they said, no, but it is like him. He looks like him. They, so something happened in that kind of uh, conversion that, and they didn't know exactly, you know, whether it was he or not. Something changed. And St. Augustine says this, according to St. Thomas. The reason for this, as St. Augustine says, is that the man's appearance changed when he regained his sight. For nothing is so characteristic as the expression a person gets from his eyes. 
A sensible man is known by his face, says the book of Sirach. And so this is this is very interesting how St. Augustine and St. Thomas both say that something changes in our eyes, something changes in our face when we actually convert, when we come back to God. See, all of us are called to take a step closer to God wherever we are. And that baby step that we can take today will change our face, will change our face. And necessarily that step, that whether it's a baby step or a, a giant leap in contemplation, whatever that step is that we have to take, it'll take the form of a conversion that changes our face and our face necessarily will become happier or more joyful. And when I mean face, I mean, yes, our face, our external face, but also primarily who we are, our identity. Face means really who we are, like how we are identified. Um, our very person, the very core of who we are. We are all called to make that step, you know. So the, the key is to really, to change our face is to turn to God. How do we know that? Well, if we read from the psalm, Psalm 33, we get a clue as to how to do that. Look at him and you shall be enlightened. What does that sound like? Look at him and you shall be enlightened. Turn to him and you shall be enlightened. It's almost implying that we are kind of a, a reflective surface. And when we turn to God, we now reflect the glory of the Lord. That is very reminiscent of what Moses did when he went up to the mountain to pray. And when he came back, he was radiating. He was enlightened. His face was transformed. His face was changed. And people weren't able to look at him because he there was something so bright about him, you know. Of course, they didn't have sunglasses, so they decided to put a veil on his face. But when we turn to the Lord, St. Paul says, because we are in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus, which is, you know, he is greater than Moses. He, St. Paul recognizes that there's something greater here and, and, and that there's a different kind of effect or a similar but greater effect. Yes, down to this very day when Moses is read, he writes to the Corinthians in his second letter, the veil covers their hearts. But when they turn in repentance to God, the veil shall be taken away. Of course, he's talking about those people that still read the Old Testament. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we all, with faces unveiled, reflecting as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into his very image from glory to glory as through the Spirit of the Lord. This is the this is the process of conversion. When we turn, well, yes, we turn into ourselves to examine ourselves, but then we turn to God, then we are enlightened. Then our faces change. Then we become different. And yet the same. We're the same but different. It's kind of like when Jesus was resurrected, when he resurrected. 
he people couldn't recognize him they could but they couldn't you know it's kind of mysterious he's enshrouded in mystery why couldn't they recognize him something changed something changed in his physical appearance but nobody could put a finger as to what it was well people may say the same thing hopefully they'll say the same thing about us when we convert that yes it's him but there's something different or her but there's something different there's something kind of luminous about that person and and really what they're putting their finger on is our relationship with god that yes there is something new there's something there's something greater there's something uh, spectacular there's something awesome about this person you know because they radiate a peace that no one can take away or they radiate this joy that is you know as saint john says joy that is full to the max that is the conversion we want that is really the return of the the son or daughter to the house of the father that's the the joy that we will get when we pray when we pray we begin along that road when we pray we begin along that road look at what saint bernard says of the just man he says the just man or woman first accuses himself then praises god and lastly edifies his or her neighbor well that's exactly the the whole motion the whole trajectory the whole journey of conversion that we want to get into today first we want to accuse ourselves of our sins recognize our sins with sincerity with sincerity actually saint thomas also comments on this man that is um interrogated in 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 today's gospel the blind man is interrogated by the pharisees because they want to know who who opened his eyes and all this stuff if you recall and and they question him and and he gives a long answer in detail as to how jesus put clay on his eyes and then he told them to to go to the pool and to wash and all this stuff of course they don't believe him and they the pharisees then go to the parents and you know all this controversy um occurs but then they come back to him and they say so tell us again what happened and he just simply says he put clay on my eyes period and you know saint thomas actually says it's remarkable to see that a person when interrogated twice about something the first time he gives a lot of detail but the second time the person is very concise and sticks to the essence of things and that's why he just says he put clay on my ass because that's the essence of what jesus did to him and this is a lesson for us in sincerity i think you know because sometimes um are too many words tell a different story than what is really essential so think about that next time you go to confession you know do i when i go to confession do i tell a big story or do i tell my sins simply do i go to the essence of it and especially if there's a big line right you don't want to tell a story you don't want to tell a big story of what happened let, let me tell you what happened in the beginning was the word you know it's like oh my gosh um do we have time for the whole story maybe maybe and sometimes yes some historical details are important but they should be told in so far as they are important for the essence of what needs to be confessed not simply you know 
and again, sometimes it's hard to be sincere, and so we end up telling a story because we don't know how to say it, because we're embarrassed or something like that. But if we're really wanting to look for the truth, we'll stick to the, we'll pray about what is essential and what is what what really happened in, in as few words as possible. We could say the greatest things that have happened to us or that we have committed, that we have done, in very few words. Very few words. The more concise, the better. So, you know, when we accuse ourselves, it's really what, what's what's happening is it's we're really revealing that we want to look for truth. You know? That's the first step. That's what happened to the prodigal son when he looked inside, you know, inside of his soul. When he turned to himself and began to be sincere with himself. The second step is praising God, lifting the soul up to God. And that's prayer. When we pray, we are turning back to God. And that's where we are, where we reflect the glory of the Lord. And then we come back to neighbor, to our neighbor, and serve and edify him or her. You see, a lot of people may confuse prayer with like, Catholic yoga or something like that. I don't know, with with an exercise that we do primarily in order to get away from our anxiety and from our nervousness and from our, you know, the hustle and bustle of every day and all that stuff. You know what? It's not about that. Prayer is not about that. Prayer is a loving relationship with my Father God. That's what it's all about. And it doesn't take me away from people. It brings me back to people. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of prayer, that I now can edify my neighbor because I I can see more about the needs that he or she has because I have I now have the sight the light of our Lord not only the sight the sensitivity for light but also the light you know because I could have the sensitivity for light but there's no light then I can't see I need to I need to pray and then I have the, then the lights go on and and my sight improves you know so. But we gotta get, we gotta get our Lord, have to let our Lord, actually within our lives, and that's the moment when we return to the Father. Everyone can pray right now. You know, maybe many people can't go to mass. It's kind of hard, right? But you know what? Mass may be canceled. There may not be the opportunity for all the sacraments with this coronavirus. But what has not been canceled is prayer. Prayer continues, and that we can do. So let us um, use this time of retreat. This is our retreat, our Lenten retreat, the coronavirus retreat, to go within ourselves and see the truth there about our soul and any motion that any resolution that we make in our will, may it be towards God. May it be back to the house of the Father in sincerity, with alacrity, because it is there that we will find joy. It is there that we will then be able to be sent from there and be able to serve our neighbor. Our Lady will help us because she is always there at every conversion, she's very close. She's she's always uh, kind of mediating that relationship with with Christ. She's introducing us to Christ. She's she's doing what we what we ask her to do in the 
Salve Regina in the Hail Holy Queen. At some point in the Hail Holy Queen, we say a word, which is ostende in Latin, in the prayer, right? Which means show. Show us. Show unto us the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Show him to us. And, you know, we can imagine Our Lady turning towards us with her son, enlightening us with her son as a monstrance almost. She's like the primary monstrance that holds our Lord in her arms. And then we are enlightened to see our lives in every corner of our soul that was previously dark because we probably were afraid of looking in the dusty corners of our attic. But there she is. She will, When we look at her and she smiles at us, it'll all be very easy. It's all very simple and 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 very easy when when we look at Mary. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.